You're listening to the Palmetto Report. I'm Joseph Casco, and today we're joined by Gavin Off. He's a data reporter for the Charlotte Observer, where he sits on the investigations desk. He's worked previously for newspapers in Florida, Washington, D.C., and Oklahoma. He got his undergraduate degree from UNC Chapel Hill in 2002 and holds a master's degree in journalism from the University of Missouri. So, Gavin, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm great to be here. Thank you. So you just gave a talk to students here at Winthrop, and um, you know, just tell us for, for the listener out there who's not familiar with the term, what do we mean when we say data journalism? Yeah, data journalism, it's actually becoming really popular nowadays, especially among print and broadcast folks. And it's essentially, it's uh, uh, taking data, so Excel spreadsheets, databases, and even maps, and querying that data to turn into stories. Right, we're we're still journalists, we're still reporters, but we want to ask this data questions to pull out information to write better stories. So, how important or how big of a deal is this type of work these days? You know what? I, I told the students today, and uh, I also I, I teach this class at uh, Queens University sometimes. And when I was putting together my syllabus the other day, yeah, I, I looked on journalismjobs.com just for possible job postings among reporters. And I'd say uh, two, three out of five postings wanted data skills. You know, um, data skills a must. Data skills go to the top of the list. Um, when I was uh, uh, learning this stuff back in 2009, I then went on to, as you said, D.C., Tulsa, and Charlotte, and all three news organizations had mass layoffs. But my job was always saved, and I attribute that not because I'm the world's best reporter, but I attribute that because I know data skills. I know skills that other people in the newsroom simply don't have. So if you do just like a basic Google search of, you know, examples of data journalism, some of the stories that folks might be familiar with that, that are typically rated as some of the best data journalism stories done recently, um, there's the, the Guardian story about the NSA files decoded, Bloomberg's reporting on the deadliest jobs in America, the San Francisco Chronicle did a story on the Airbnb effect. Do you know about those stories? Are you familiar with them at all? I do. Uh, not necessarily the San Francisco, the Chronicle story, but of course, all um, the other ones. Uh, and, and if you think about it, it makes sense because the government, the one thing government is great at doing is storing information, taking information in from people and storing it somehow. And we're beyond the days where they're just going to have a stack of papers, you know, from floor to ceiling. We're, we're, they're putting that data or that information into spreadsheets, into text files, into database managers. And the great thing about uh, reporters and the great thing about this data is a lot of times it's public information. Uh, we're allowed to request it. We're allowed to look at it. So it just makes sense that some of the biggest stories out there come from these electronic files that can just be passed over email and uh, are available for uh, data reporters to look at. So, so I guess one example, I mean, if you look at that um, Bloomberg story about the deadliest jobs in America, I guess this is a really good example of how data can really make something stand out. So if you just went out on the street and you asked a typical person, you know, hey, what's a dangerous job in America? You might see someone say police officer, mm -hmm. firefighter, you know, security guard, something along those lines. But actually, if you look at their story from their reporting, one of the most dangerous jobs that is more dangerous than 
being a police officer or, or a firefighter, is actually a garbage collector. Wow. wow. And so, I mean, that's really an example of how things we can learn or we can be surprised by data, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it's it's nuts. I told the students today that um, um, when I was a reporter at the Tulsa World out in Oklahoma, you know, uh, we had a couple of giraffes die at the local zoo. And I, I thought that was interesting. And maybe we could have done a, a five-inch or five-paragraph brief on these giraffes that were dying. But maybe we could dive a little bit deeper and deeper using data. So what we did at the paper was we requested a spreadsheet from the Department of Agriculture, which oversaw the zoo, of all animal deaths at the zoo. And sure enough, they gave us a spreadsheet, and it lists all kinds of deaths. You know, not only the 47-year-old lion, but also the, the cricket and the minnow and the sparrow that they had uh, just there for a couple of weeks. So if you think about it, of course, uh, we'd be able to tell really good stories using data. And it doesn't surprise me that uh, Bloomberg did that story on the most dangerous jobs, because who wouldn't want to read about that? So let's talk about one of the memorable stories that has been done by the Charlotte Observer in recent years. You told us about the reporting you guys have done for a series called Against All Odds. Mm -hmm about tracking data of lottery winners. Tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah, at the 10th anniversary of the lottery, which I think was back in 2016, uh, another reporter and I, his name is Adam Bell, we requested an electronic spreadsheet of all lottery winners in the state. And that's open to public because if you win over $600 in the lottery, you have to file it with the IRS, which uh, essentially makes it public record. So we get a spreadsheet of 189,000 records, right? And I put that into a database, and I start querying the database. And I'm shocked by two different things. One, at the sheer volume people are winning on these scratch-off tickets. They don't just win 10 times or 20 times or 30 times. Some people are winning on scratch-off tickets 50 times. And these odds are 1 in 10,000. You know, you have an odds of 1 in 70,000, 1 in 100,000. So that blew my mind, just the sheer number of wins that people were winning. But we dove a little bit deeper using the data, and we got a, another spreadsheet of all people in North, in North Carolina who are licensed to sell lottery tickets. So these are the people behind the counter at the cash register. And believe it or not, they were winning dozens of times too. And sometimes they were the only winners at the store. In other words, no customer has ever won at their store. They were the only winners. Um, so we ran that by statisticians. We ran our, our findings by lottery experts. And, um, of course we couldn't out, couldn't come out and directly say it, but the experts said, yes, something fishy is happening. Something, uh, a little bit nefarious is going down. You're listening to the Palmetto Report. I'm Joseph Casco. We're speaking with Gavin Off. He's a data reporter for the Charlotte Observer. He's been in that capacity since 2011. And we're talking about some of the Observer's recent reporting on uh, doing investigative stories with data. Do you think if, if you had taken a look at uh, lottery winnings in South Carolina, do you think you would have found similar results? Uh, you know what? I bet we would have, and we actually tried. And we pushed a little bit with the lottery. We, we requested that data, just like we did with uh, North Carolina, but they said it was not open to the public. And uh, I remember talking to my editor, and we were on the verge of talking to a lawyer to say, okay, maybe we should uh, sort of uh, ratchet up the pressure on them to um, see if we can somehow get it. Um, 
But for one reason or another, the editors backed off and they said, okay, let's just ride with North Carolina. Um, I know papers in Florida and uh, Boston and I believe in, I think, California, if I'm not mistaken, have also done similar stories. And there they they see uh, rampant fraud as well. This was one of the examples you were showing one of our classes here at Winthrop. And I, I got to say, it was just fascinating to look at the data and see some of the things that we could learn. And I'm just, if I'm remembering this correctly, but one of the uh, service station owners or one of the people licensed to sell lottery tickets uh, had won the lottery like 36 times exactly. for thousands of dollars. Uh, so clearly this becomes a case of fraud. Did the the state make any changes? Did North Carolina make any changes to the lottery system after your reporting? You know what? We uh, we followed up with state legislators, and uh, they were, at least they told us they were appalled by our findings. Um, they, uh, too, agreed something perhaps nefarious is going on. Um, there were two different changes, and this is testing my memory because it's going back a couple of years, but um, the lottery said that uh, it has a policy where they— uh, uh, discounting tickets is no longer allowed. Um, and let me explain what discounting is. Okay, Joe, so say you owe, um, win $10,000 on the lottery, right? Um, but you, unfortunately, uh, owe back taxes worth $10,000. So when you go to cash in that lottery ticket, the state or even the feds are going to say, thank you for bringing in that lottery ticket. Uh, go home empty-handed because you also owe us all this money. We're just going to keep it. Um, so you don't want that to happen, obviously. So what you do is you sell your winning $10,000 ticket to me for $8,000. You pocket $8,000, go home happy. The government never finds out. And I, who uh, don't owe any back taxes, cash in that winning ticket and get $10,000. And I essentially net 2000 That's called discounting. So what the state did is they made it a policy where they – it's shame on you if you discount. And again, I'm testing my memory, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what they did. And they also uh, made it a, uh, uh, I believe it was in the legislature. I don't think it ever passed, but uh, a legislator brought it up where if you work at or own uh, a lottery retailer, so a convenience store, you are not allowed to play the lottery at your own store. And what they said this would do is uh, people uh, cut down the chances of people stealing tickets and um, stealing customers' tickets or sometimes even sticking, stealing tickets right out of the rolls. I don't think that law ever passed, but uh, tell you what, looking at this data, looking at these 189,000 records and seeing people winning five times in a row, six times in a row, seven times in a row, all in the same day, uh, makes you think that something like that was needed. Another example you shared with us was a series of stories called Fatally Flawed, looking at uh, problems with medical examiners in North mm -hmm. Carolina. You, in your bio, you work in the investigative division. Does, does that mean that, that data journalism by its nature is, is a type of investigative journalism most times? Uh, yes and no. A lot of times because uh, data journalists are so sought after, a lot of times they are on their projects or their investigative team, like I am with The Observer. But at the same time, I have uh, beat reporters, education reporters, city government reporters come up to me all the time saying, hey, Gavin, I have this spreadsheet or I have this map or database. Can you help me analyze it and pull information out? And of course, that's my job. That's what I'm more than happy to do. And sometimes those stories are uh, 
actually more fun than uh, than the big ones. Um, but fatally flawed, what you, you had referred to, we looked at a, a database of 130,000 uh, medical examiner cases in North Carolina, and these are the cases where think of CSI, you know, people going in with a black light trying to find out how someone died. Um, but that's not the case in North Carolina. Um, 90% of the time we found out using data, they, the medical examiner never goes to the scene. 11% of the time they rarely, they don't view the body that just t- takes a police or EMS's word for it, you know, how that person died. Uh, so you can have really big investigations like that. Um, Believe it or not, I have a spreadsheet at work of it's, uh, I think it's like 300,000 records of uh, licensed pets in North Carolina. So it'll have, if if you ever take your your dog or cat to the vet and get a license for it, they hand that information over to CMPD, Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police. Uh, That becomes public record in a spreadsheet. And we did a, a quirky little story about the most popular pet name in uh in charlotte i think it was bella for a dog so it can be something really light and and, uh fluffy or it can be something you know where we're investigating fraud and that one thing you said to students is that sometimes you can have a lot of fun with the data yeah yeah and i i I think uh data when it comes to reporters or writers or just communications folks in general is a scary term and it's a sort of a, a nerdy term and it's you think numbers and you think uh, I don't want anything to do with it. But uh, essentially we're just looking at a, a ton of paper documents put into spreadsheet and we pull that information out and uh, we ask that data questions and then if you really like reporting, guess what? You have to do all your reporting anyway. You have to go talk to sources. You have to find people who exemplify your data. You have to talk to experts. You have to. You still have to write the story. So it has all the great things that we love about being a reporter, and then you get to throw in this fun stuff looking at databases as well. Gavin, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. That was Gavin Off. He's a data reporter for the Charlotte Observer, where he sits on the investigations desk, and we were talking about his role as a data journalist. You're listening to the Palmetto Report. We're going to take a quick break. <laughs> 